Hello and welcome to the Changing Directions Filmmaker Podcast Series presented by 206.com. Changing Directions is a podcast interview series focused on diverse and emerging filmmakers who are pushing the boundaries of what's possible for women and people of color while creating amazing films. I am your host, Mark Morin, and my guest for this special opening day edition of the podcast is award-winning filmmaker Emma Ryan Yamazaki, director of Koshien, Japan's Field of Dreams, a documentary about the high school baseball tournament in Japan that has created countless superstars and is basically the March Madness of Japanese sports. Emma, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for speaking with me today. I understand you're in Tokyo, so I appreciate you being able to schedule this chat from the other side of the world. Oh yeah, I've been in Tokyo、um, only now for, or in Japan for the past year. COVID has caused that. Until then, I was、uh, going back and forth a lot between Tokyo and, and、um, New York. But、um, yeah, I've gotten used to scheduling things in the US. So this is the perfect time. Sometimes it's the middle of the night, so I appreciate you, you know, organizing your schedule as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, you're originally from Kobe, right? Yep. And then you went to school in New York? Yep, yep. So, what, was, like, what university did you go to and what was that experience like? Yeah, so、um, when I was 19, I moved to New York to attend the, the New York University like, Tisch School of the Arts film production program. I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker and I,、um, I knew I wanted to be in the US. And yeah, it really, you know, at the time, I, I could speak English.、Um, I grew up,、uh, my father's from England, so I spent time in the UK growing up and I, I could speak English, but otherwise, America was a new place to me. The only other times I'd visited the US was to see Ichiro Suzuki play. Who is my hero. So, yeah, going to New York and you know, being there fully for almost 10 years, learning how to make films, I realized when I said film, I meant documentary films.、Mm-hmm. And、um, I, I learned how to be an editor. That's how I started my career. And I had great mentors, such as Sam Pollard, who recently made the MLK FBI film, and also a guy called Mark Levin, who really taught me how to, how to make a compelling story and how to, how to be a good storyteller. So, that's, I have some fond memories from that time. And、um, yeah, I really kind of Kind of miss New York right now. Oh, absolutely. Sounds like you really had an amazing experience there. Now, all of that led to the documentary, Koshian, which is the point of what we're talking about today. So, when I sat down to watch this documentary, I really didn't know anything about the tournament. And you did a fantastic job of creating an engaging story that I was able to learn about the tournament itself while also showing how and why baseball in Japan originally became such a big deal that it is today. So, what was it about the tournament that made you want to create a documentary? And how did you select Coach Mizutani? Toku and his Yokohama Hayato baseball team. Yeah, so Koshien、um, is my second feature film. I made my first feature about the authors of Curious George, the children's book, while I was in New York. And when I was done with that, it was, had, was approaching 10 years since I left Japan. And I was really feeling like I want to go back to Japan once and, and tell a story about Japan to share with the world. You know,、um, when I left Japan, I wasn't sure if I was ever going to go back or had some complex relationships with Japan growing up as a mixed race person. But I mean, actually, at that time, I had a new perspective, you know. Leaving Japan made me realize you know, how amazing this is that trains run on time and people queue up, but just like basic societal things that I didn't have in New York. And that was the basis of me coming back to explore some arenas that I could explore these themes in. And when I found out that Koshien was、um, having his 100th year tournament the following year, I thought, wow, like, you know, seeing Koshien for the first time in a decade, I realized it is an extreme part of Japan society that, you know, has its best and worst parts, perhaps, and just really. 
really very dramatic and it's still you know it's the biggest sporting event in japan you can't you can't miss it if you're in japan in the summer and i realized you know i could use it as a, as a microcosm to explore you know what japan has been like until now and how it might be changing and you know being a, a baseball fan as a given from when i was little um, I knew how dramatic the story could be, so that's what got me into Koshien. Yeah, picking a team or a few teams is really difficult at first because it's 4,000 teams. So 4,000 teams try to make it to Koshien every year and everyone has a chance, but no one is guaranteed because it's a knockout tournament. Even the best teams, if you lose once, that's it. So we wanted to make sure that one of the teams we were following would make it to Koshien. So <laughs> actually we filmed four teams, even though the film only covers two. So that's how much we have to kind of plan for this. But um, I met Mizutani at a quite early stage of the research, I was interested in Yokohama, the area where his high school is, because that's where baseball came into Japan from the US in like the 1870s. So Yokohama had this historical element and also still very competitive baseball place. When you meet him and you see how he interacts with his students, it's like you walk into his the grounds and it's a random Wednesday afternoon, you know, but it's like nothing, it's not like random at all. It's very, very intense. Like it's as though like they're ready to go fight at any moment type of an atmosphere and wow. that captivated me and one of its kids off the cuff without being prompted just you know said to me you know we, we are practicing like the hardest and the best in japan like please film us and show to the world what we do here and i was so surprised that a 17 year old had the sense to say that that was the beginning and then once i found out he was the mentor of coach sasaki who was the is the mentor of otani and yusei kikuchi two major leaguers the whole story started to come together and we, and we went with it Nice. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what was it like being on the field during those practices? Because watching it, it seemed pretty intense. I can't imagine being there in the middle of that as well. Yeah, there's like this tense atmosphere that is enhanced also by the fact that it's very dusty. It's just like sand. I was very dirty the whole time. There was sand <laughs> everywhere. And, you know, once May and June hit, the temperatures rise, you know, like, you know, over like 100 um, degrees sometimes. And it's just so hot and you're just there the whole time. And kids are like shouting kind of like getting themselves rallied up for certain things and it's yeah just a lot of intensity I would say and where you know you feel like one mistake is detrimental you know and that's the atmosphere Mizutani created for better or for worse I would say in that year. Yeah. Well and over the course of the story you see him not a real transparent change but there is kind of an evolution of who he is so is that something that kind of evolved while you were making the film or is that something that you thought might be a story arc while you were preparing? No, I mean, you know, when we went into it, it was, you know, as you'll see in the film from Mizutani, making Koshien for the 100th tournament <clears throat> was his lifelong dream. He named his daughter, like, to win, you know, because she would have been at the age of making it to Koshien if, if she had been a boy. And he had kind of, like, dedicated his whole life to this year. And so we went in hoping that he could achieve his dream, you know, like we were on his side. But um, when he doesn't, as you see in the film, it, I think it really broke him. And I wasn't expecting that you know, we really did see a change in his just, I felt like he lost so much weight and he didn't have the same energy for a while and we were there for all of that. So yeah, just his change of heart, just questioning if everything he's done for the past 30 years was correct. You know, we were there for that moment. Um, and it's been a few years since then now and I do still think that that year was a turning point for him where he realized that he might have to make some changes in, in the way he coaches and the way he approaches the sport, which, you know, at the beginning of the spring, he said he would never change. So that was a big change. 
change. And I think we were in a way lucky that we were there in that very dynamic year for him, although it was heartbreaking to watch. No, absolutely. And it, I like how you also were able to reference his journey and the team's journey in relation to some societal change and transformation in Japan as a country. So is that something you were also looking for? Or did that also just come out of the, the story as it developed? Yeah, I was definitely looking to use the high school baseball world to somehow make a broader point about society itself. You know, as of course, this film for baseball fans, I hope everyone will like it and it's right up their alley. But I, it was really our goal to make something that was interesting for people who didn't even know baseball, you know, like something right. about Japan as a kind of metaphor or example. And yeah, in Japanese society at the time, and this is 2018, so the pre-COVID world, there was, a, there was a lot of discussion about just the Japanese are working way too hard and you know we've therefore become a kind of a prosperous country since world war ii but there's a high suicide rate and people are just sometimes dying of overworking and we need to change our laws that was kind of the voice of society at the time and um the struggle between okay trying to do that while trying to like come to terms with that's kind of been our national character and it's hard to let go of that and i think i just saw that a similar parallel in the high school baseball world the most intense part like aspect <laughs> of japanese society in a way where you're supposed to dedicate yourself to the end of days a year and shave your heads to join a team and this type of mentality and yeah you'll see it by the end of the, our film that it was a turning point you know certain teams stopped having shaved heads after that year and there was just a more of a discussion about how high school baseball can be intense but perhaps there can be not just one kind of a team like there's 4,000 schools some schools you know have a kind of a more different atmosphere where they try to have more fun than win uh, which is <laughs> was unheard of until recently there's this type of mentality so there's a more diverse options for kids wanting to play baseball and so yeah we, we took every opportunity to try to connect what I was feeling about Japanese society and my questions about where it might be headed to reflect that in the high school baseball world although I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like when you don't know, know who which teams are going to win or which kids are going to make the team like all of that came together in the editing. Now at the beginning of the documentary you go into some of the history of baseball in Japan and how it became a thing. What was the decision-making process there? I know that was very necessary to show, but there had to have been some decisions on how much of that to go into. What was that process like? For sure, I think in earlier renditions of how I imagined the film, there would have even been more of that history. I mean, I did pick Yokohama as the main school, kind of, you know, making sure that I had the availability to kind of explore the history of Yokohama more if I wanted to. I just thought it was really important that to explain, especially to an American audience, because baseball in the US and baseball in Japan is really different. You know, right. like the person that has gone back and forth between these two countries for many years, it's like the one thing that the country like has in common that baseball is so loved, but yet it's so different <laughs> because the, the type <laughs> of sport it's become is different. And I think to explain that, um, because this film was intended for an outside international audience, including the US, that to be able to explain that, you know, when baseball was imported into Japan, there was no such thing as sport sports uh, still in the country. There's only martial arts. Oh, so wow. baseball was incorporated as a martial art into youth education. You know, university students first played it, then younger high school students. And so the history of high school baseball is much longer in Japan than professional baseball. Professional baseball came in the 1930s when Babe Ruth came over. The Japanese were like, oh, we can make money, like like selling tickets. And, you know, like baseball can be a, a professional sport kind of thing. Koshin had been going on for, I think, 20 years by that point. So oh, wow. really, a much longer history and I think that still reflects why it's always been part of education and it's like kind of a, a way to 
learn how to be a, a better human, like train yourself. It's not necessarily about like a ball game kind of a atmosphere that I think the U.S. baseball started with kind of, you know, having some beers and enjoying yourself. Like that was not part of like how baseball started in Japan. I think those roots still remain. And that also explains why high school baseball is even more popular than professional baseball even today in, in Japan. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it because in America, baseball is known as what's called the national pastime. So it's more kind of a relaxed atmosphere. Whereas I've always wanted to go to a baseball game in Japan, especially Tokyo Dome. You know, I've seen the video of just how exciting it is and the chance. And whereas in Major League Baseball in the States, you don't really see that at all. It's like when something happens, people will cheer and get excited, but there isn't this constant level of energy like you see in Japanese baseball. And I think you did a good job of presenting that as well. During some of the game footage that you see during the tournament. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you too about the technical stuff as far as filming, a couple of the things I really liked as far as a cinematography perspective is you have a shot of the field and then you pull up and out and then all of a sudden the city is just right there surrounding it. Whereas when you just focus on the baseball field, it seems like such a, like an oasis or an island, but then you see that it is really part of the city and the culture. So can you talk about the filming from that perspective as well? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that shot you, you mentioned, I just knew was, you know, it was a drone shot and uh, it was a lot of pain to get permission, right, the right permission to get the, that drone shot. You know, you have to make sure all the, the people that are living nearby and knowing you're doing it, but it was definitely worth it. I think that's, that was like one of those crucial shots to connect what I was saying earlier, like what happens on the baseball field, connecting it to larger society. And also the idea that it's, this is not just a story about one high school or two high schools and a couple of students and coaches, although we go deep into their personal stories. It really, this is happening everywhere across Japan and it's happening been happening for a hundred years you know like this idea that it's more than what you just see trying to give people the idea that um we're really exploring broader themes here and doing that visually with that shot going from the field raising up to just see the rest of japan kind of thing that was really something i wanted to do in terms of the filming you know we bought a cinematographer from new york someone i went to a university with called michael kwamitz to shoot this so he didn't speak any japanese but um it was his first time ever in japan however he was a big baby baseball fan and I just knew that outsider perspective of being moved by you know shoes being lined up or helmets in a row things that Japanese people take for granted because it's so normal like he had that ability to be inspired by that and really notice things that I think a regular Japanese crew would have dismissed because it's so such a daily life thing yeah he really elevated the film by the way he kind of had that outsider perspective everything was new to him and so he also had questions about why is this this way and why is this that way which helped me also ask certain questions like that to the coaches or the students and even sometimes when they would like awkward questions to ask I would always use Michael as a oh Michael wants to know like like why do you all have shaved heads or why is this like why were you so angry with that person just like a, a tool to get be able to get answers and also I think because me and Michael and the producer a lot of the people were like kind of were non-Japanese that created this atmosphere that it was a very special project I mean these kids get um, interviewed free frequently when they're playing high school baseball but I think they felt this idea that they have to explain things on behalf of like the other Japanese high school baseball kids they had kind of a responsibility so they could explain things clearly and same with the coaches you know I think we were able to create the atmosphere where they felt the responsibility to be part of the film which is how you make a, a good film I think so yeah. 
It's really interesting to me the level of accessibility that you had to the students, the coaches, you know, even going into their homes and really digging into their personal lives. I was honestly a little surprised at how open they were of letting you really dig into their emotions. Is that something you had to work towards or were they pretty open from the beginning? No, I, I would say that that took the time. And, you know, we spent, you know, from late March till mid-August shooting every day, not at the same, like at the main school often, but we, of course we were traveling to other schools as well. But, you know, that was a, a lot of time. And I feel like, especially in the spring, we would just film things that I definitely would knew were never going to make the film. You know, every day they would be eating lunch and I just film, we'd film them eating lunch. And I, that never is in the film, but like that spending that time and, you know, making ourselves like part of, their daily life was, I think, key to to be present and in those really dramatic moments when you make the team or don't make the team, or you win the game or you lose the game. You know, at that point in the summer, you know, we were just there. Like we, we were, I wouldn't say we we're part of the team. I don't want to say that, but we were just. It was so normal that the kids didn't have to be like ashamed if they were wanted to cry or just hide themselves. We were just always there. We really bonded. And I think I do feel like me being like a at the time a 28 year old woman. And here, like 17, 18 year old boys, we had an interesting dynamic, I think, in a way. At first, they were very shy. You know, I don't think they get to interact with older women as often. And so, and then gradually just not being their friend, but just being like, yeah, this kind of position I had with them, being able to talk to them sometimes. And they would tell me things that they hadn't told anyone to their friends or their parents or their coach. It's only being able to build that kind of relationship that you can, I think, make a film like that. And you don't know what's working and what isn't. And not all the kids loved me, you know, definitely <laughs> not. But um, yeah, just kind of being there and experiencing everything with them, I knew was, was key. Now, what would you say is the biggest thing that you learned while making this documentary? Gosh, a, a number of things, but I would say I had this idea of what, what doing high school baseball would, would be like. You know, I grew up watching Koshian and, you know, was moved by it and I had this idea, oh yeah, they must train every day, but just like the intensity of it all, especially not just, you know, I went into this project assuming I would be telling stories about high school baseball kids, which I do to a degree, but what I ended up doing, as you know from the film, is really telling the story of Coach Mizutani, who does this year after year for almost 30 years. So this idea that it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing for kids but for the coach they do this every year like you know only one team wins Koshi and the other 3,999 teams at some point lose and yet they do it again and again and that kind of obsession and dedication that the coach has that that was something that I it was beyond my imagination and I think also as a filmmaker my first film about Curious George was a historical documentary the subjects had passed and it was a partially animated film very different kind of film this was really just being there every day not knowing what was going to happen trying to plan the best you could but being at the mercy of just so many things like like results of games that you have no control over that will impact the story so much so just having the foresight to be covered no matter what happens and trying to be at the right place at the right time and just how much work it takes to just you know uh, none of it is a waste but ultimately you spend like thousands of hours with these kids and you make a 90 94 minute film it's not just luck i think we did some things right we also missed some things and yeah how amazing filmmaking is really and how <laughs> i will now could take that experience with me and in, in the future films i make excellent now what's one thing from making this film that you say okay i, I never want to do that again from a technical filmmaking perspective 
I mean, just the fact that it was the hottest summer on record that year, <laughs> and from June to August, it was like I, I feel like I must have had a heat stroke every day. And then I would go, we would go home at a certain hour.、Um, but then I, the film is a feature-length film, but this was made in tandem with NHK, the public broadcaster in、oh, yeah. Japan, and I had to deliver a 30-minute version of the project during the filming, so it would air during the Koshian tournament、yeah. that year. So I would then be editing all night to like try.、Oh, wow. to Deliver that. That's something I never want to do again. Even now, when it's like kind of hot and we're filming and the crew is complaining, <laughs> nothing has exceeded that summer. You know, I feel like、right. I have this mentality now that, if, and of course, I, I'm doing better. To I know, like you have to drink more water than I did. That's some <laughs> things I learned too. But I think that's something I I learned from. And ideally, I don't want to repeat having to edit something while I'm filming in heat like that. You know. <laughs> yeah, there's so many different challenges to take on all at once. Wow. But that does give you good. Experience moving forward, like you said, so that's great. Now, earlier you mentioned some of the people who、uh, taught you and mentored you, but who would you say are some filmmakers that have inspired or influenced your work? Yeah, I gotta mention those. Two guys again. You know, I was、um, Sam Pollard's assistant when I first.、Uh, he was my professor at NYU, and then he hired me as his editing assistant right out of college. And then he kind of taught me everything I know about editing, documentary editing, and then pushed me into this like the New York documentary scene,、um, where I met Mark Levin, who you know is known for his film like Slam back in the '90s, but also、okay. these incredible. Doc series that he's done in more recent years, following you know whether it's Cory Booker before or you know the Chicago Mayor, more recently just kind of doing projects where you just film somewhere for a year with thousands of hours of footage and making a, a TV series out of it, which I participated as an editor and I just learned again that like the Koshian film, I think I only knew how to do because I as an editor learned how what kind of things you need to film to tell a story when you just have no you don't know what's going to happen, you just have you know a crew or a few crews and you're just there every. Day and you just trust that you have the right characters and the right access and and you you go for it. So I feel like those two folks definitely shaped everything. I know I was so lucky to be mentored by them when they were in their 70s now and I was so young,、um, just learning everything. You know all their wisdom. I also did intern for Ken Burns and his partner Lynn Novick、um, when I was in college and especially Lynn Novick as、um, you know who did the Vietnam series and many many other series is recently just like having her as a mentor also. You know. There weren't as many female mentors, I would say, around me, and just like you can see how she was like in charge, doing everything. You know, also having a family.、Um, that's something I'm thinking more about now as I think about having kids and and so forth in the near future. How to balance all that?、Um, she she really inspired me that you can really do it all. Wow, that's some great people to have around you to learn from. That's amazing. Now, after doing some of my own research for this interview, I learned that you are a big fan of Ichiro Suzuki, who is a baseball superstar in Japan before coming here to Seattle to play for the Mariners. And you even made a docu series of shorts about Ichiro fans, including yourself as one of those fans. So, what is it about Ichiro that you admire most? Yeah, so、uh, Ichiro.、Um, I, I truly believe that I am who I am thanks to him, and that's a weird thing to say to a guy you've never met personally, and some guys to, to a guy that probably doesn't know who you are. But you know, I happened to read a book about him when I was ten years old and in school, and until then I didn't know him, didn't care about sports or baseball that much. It was just a book about how he practiced every day from when he was three years old. You know, had this big dream of becoming the best ever. 
at baseball and that was just at the time where he was going to the majors after a successful career in Japan and seeing throughout my kind of teenage years him being so successful in a foreign country you know in the, in those years with the Mariners just at the top of his league and it made me realize I have to find something I love to do and then dedicate myself to it and hopefully become really good at it that was what inspired me when I was 10 and then by the time I was 12 13 I discovered filmmaking I, I decided that's what I want to do and then when I was thinking about where to go study filmmaking you know he had a huge impact Ichiro to make my decision about moving to the US because I thought well Ichiro you know he was the best in Japan and yet he challenged himself to try to become the best in the country that baseball is the best you know America and so if I'm going to study filmmaking and try to become good at it then I want to go to the country where I think is filmmaking is best and at the time I, I really thought it was the US and especially I was inspired by New York so he really you know I mean there were other reasons I went to New York as well of course but no he really imp impacted my life and then also then he went to the Yankees and you know I got to see him every day which was a crazy few years um you know it's way too much very a lot of time spent in yankee stadium i just think that for a generation of japanese people and actually to maybe some americans too he represents you know i think to japanese like just that you can go challenge yourself outside of japan that was a big thing for me and that you can with hard work and dedication there's so much you can do and also the importance of finding your passion you know he had it since he was three it took me 10 extra years i found it when i was 13 and i like picked filmmaking I just you know it's not always easy but it's it's a very fulfilling life when you're doing something you love and I think just having that role model where where you know I never questioned that if I work hard I can achieve my dreams too because every day when I was younger he was a, a living example of that and I think that's why I say that I am who I am thanks to him did you get to see him play here in Seattle yeah, yeah, I went in 2002. It was my first time uh, seeing him uh, in, in the flesh at Safeco Field. And then a few other times after that, although my parents were like, oh, can we go to in somewhere other than Seattle next summer? So then we started traveling with the team and so visited other American cities and matched our schedule to where oh, wow. he was playing. So in 2019, um, again, pre-COVID, mm -hmm. to make this series, I visited Seattle for the first time since, I think, 2004, 2005, the last time I visited. And, you know, 15 years later, you know, kind of experiencing everything and meeting the people that I met at the time and also discovering new fans who were growing up at the same time as me, you know, but experiencing each role as an American, you know, and like them, you know, learning how to speak Japanese because, you know, they were interesting to how influencing he had been to a whole generation of people um i really got to explore that again but yeah i mean seattle i mean the first time i saw him yeah i will never forget you know it was just like confirming that he was he's real like <laughs> actually was so powerful and you know i don't get to see him that often um living in japan and because i miss all the years he was in japan i didn't even know who he was and yeah it just kept me going you know just watching him didn't make me want to be a baseball player i really wanted me to become the best person i could be and that's you know still what i'm trying to do and i, I owe him that and now earlier you said you've never met him before if you had that chance what would you say to him Gosh, I mean, I have tried to imagine that moment many times and I don't know. I think the most important thing is to, you know, I mean, of course he gets it all the time, but just let him know. Uh, maybe he doesn't hear so many personal stories of literally people who have shaped their lives. I'm um, just like letting him know how much he's meant and also yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> I, I probably will be speechless. Yeah, I think ultimately the reason I made that Ichiro fan series called Dia Ichiro um, was, yeah, to just 
Um, there are many people like me to a degree who have, you know, not become baseball players, but really taken to heart what he symbolized and incorporated into their own lives. And I just want, you know, sometimes I think, you know, I'm sure Ichiro knows he has many, many fans, but he doesn't really hear about those personal stories. And so this idea that, you know, if he's interested, he can learn about 10 or 11 of these people was something that I thought I could do. You know, I, I would love to one day make a film about him, but it's not like I can do that without knowing him. So something I could do at the time as a retired and um, yeah, also re-examining how much actually he has meant to me. You know, the fact that I can articulate all of this came out of that project. And I think that's what is amazing about filmmaking sometimes. You know, I do something and then and speak about it in a better way. So that was why I did the DHRO project, yeah. No, absolutely. And I think knowing, I mean, I don't know him at all, obviously, either, but knowing the type of person he is, I think he would appreciate hearing a story like yours. So I hope that you do get an opportunity to, to meet him and that he gets an opportunity to meet you at some point so that you can share that story with him. But you know, from what I understand, Ichiro is now going to do some high school baseball coaching in Japan. I saw that when Major League Baseball reported the news story, they actually mentioned your film. So what was your reaction to seeing a connection with Ichiro and your film in that news story? Yeah, I mean, I was so happily surprised, you know, we've all been wondering what he's going to do next. It's been a couple of years since he retired and not much news about him in the media. And then suddenly you're here, you know, I mean, a year ago, he got the license to be able to teach amateur, coach amateur baseball. And then this past off season, coaching a few days at a high school. I don't know about if he is one one day wants to actually coach a team and make it to coach and that would be amazing. Um, I still don't know what he's trying to do. Is it like a <laughs> temporary thing? Um, I know he's now back at, with the Mariners for the season and in Arizona at the camp. But yeah, I mean, I did see that article where, you know, MLB.com gave this news that he had been a high school coach for three days. And, you know, and my film was mentioned and it was one of those moments for sure. I will not forget. And yeah, I think so. It just makes me think like, again, I, you know, I have big dream and the big goals that one day you know like my my passion for Ichiro my passion for filmmaking will collide I think he deserves a, you know a historic film or series made about him and I just keep believing that it's it's not out of my reach you know I don't know how or I don't know when but yeah articles like that make you realize we are now in this in a similar space you know he almost came to high school baseball after me in a way which is a weird thing to say but um <laughs> the reason I inc included his high school in my film too you know i i I, um, oh, yeah. I wanted to yeah i wanted to highlight as many major leaguers high schools as possible i just thought that would be a great way to um, get the u.s audience interested i mean we'll see we'll see i'm just i'm just excited every time we get to hear him in the news you know because we've missed that for the past couple of years and it's exciting that he clearly will continue in the world of baseball he's not going to become like an actor or some <laughs> TV MC, you know, like different uh, different right, right. players have different paths. But so I'm excited to keep seeing him on or near a baseball field. Oh, that's great. Now, Koshian, the documentary we're talking about, premiered at Doc NYC in 2019. Now, with everything that's happened over the last year since that premiere in, in 2019, what has the experience been like showing your film in various formats, virtual cinemas, real cinemas, now on video on demand? What has that last year been like for you in relation to the movie being seen by people? 
Yeah,、um, I think Koshen has a, a weird story in that, in that, you know, yeah, we had that premiere and it was nice to have a, like a normal premiere with people. And that was an incredible, it's always an incredible moment when you get to share your film for the first time to the world with an audience. And then we had various plans in 2020 to release it in theaters or have, you know, festival screenings that all kind of were halted or canceled due to COVID. But at the same time, because of COVID, the lack of sports content, I think, was the reason we were, you know, asked. By ESPN for the film to have a broadcast on ESPN or, or even in Japan. In Japan, there was never a plan for this film to be in theaters. Various versions had broadcasted on NHK, and that was kind of the plan. But because Koshien was canceled for the first time since World War II, there was just this, again, like a, I think a desire to, to have some sort of To fill that void a little bit. And so we did have a theatrical release of this film in Japan as well. And in Japan, theaters have been open since the summer. So that those were physical screenings, usually at half capacity, but still getting to interact with the audience, which was amazing. And yeah, at the same time in the US, having the opportunity to do virtual screenings. And in a way, this film has had kind of the best of both. World, I think just because Japan, they could have physical screenings. And then in the US, I almost felt like we got some more opportunities because of the lack of sports. Although we did have, you know, we were planning to have some sort of release regardless. I think. Regardless of if it's physical screenings or virtual, what's really nice is when you get you do have opportunities to talk about the film, like whether it's this kind of an interview or after a screening.、Um, because I think, you know, of course the film should speak for itself. And once the film's out, you know, the world has it. And that's a very exciting thing, too. But I think, you know, if people are interested about whether it's the filmmaking aspect or more about what I was trying to say that I didn't directly say in the film, that it was open ended, but this is what I was actually thinking, like that's really. Meaningful, I think, and why, and it's a big reason of why I do what I do. Yeah, it's been an interesting release, but I think the fact that I had some opportunities to speak about the film anyway was really important to me. And the fact that now the film is available for a few dollars for anyone who wants to see it is always your goal. Like, it's always my goal that, you know, there's a release process, but then at some point, if you want to watch it, you can watch it on, you know, and it's affordable and you can, it's there for a long time. That's always my, my number one desire. I just want what I do to be seen, you know.、Um, I'm glad we've Reach that point with this film now,、um, at least in the US. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Since you've made this film, you've also made some other projects over the last year or two. And as I mentioned at the very beginning when I introduced you in, you're an award winning filmmaker. So you finished last year, 2020, by winning the Yahoo Japan Documentary Filmmaker of the Year Award. So what a way to finish 2020. Tell me about that experience. Yeah, I mean, 2020 for all of us was a weird one. And I think, yeah, in terms of I mean, like all the things that were, were lost,、um, there were a lot of those things, you know, in terms of also projects that I was supposed to do that didn't happen. But I think in Japan, you know, we had it much better than in the US. And by early summer, you know, it just seemed possible to at least do smaller scale projects. And so we went with it, you know, we came up with new projects to do that weren't planned. and Um, I made a few short films,、um, some historical films. I knew from my experience making the Curious George documentary that you can make films without shooting new things, you know, and using archival footage and animation. And that's what I turned it to make one project about a, a wartime film that. The Japanese film industry made called The Rickshaw Man. And yeah, and then I also have been filming 
um, this temple in Kyoto, a temple family in Kyoto that has been going on for 800 years. That's something I started filming almost a decade ago, and I've like revisited them since last year to kind of make、oh, wow. a sequel, which again was this project I could do with a few people and something we could do during the pandemic. And yeah, it's nice. It's always nice to be recognized. But I think yeah, it's there's so many more things I want to keep doing. <laughs> and in 2021, I'm soon starting、uh, my next feature project, feature film project from next month, which will be this year, one year in a Japanese elementary school. So going from High school down now to the elementary school level, but I think that's truly when a Japanese person is formed. You know, again trying to pick an arena to explore more things about what might be changing about Japan is kind of like a build on, I would say, from my Koshen project, which I'm looking forward to diving into really shortly. Oh, and I'm hoping that someday we'll see your next project is going to be the, the Ichiro stories. It sounds like you may be building towards that ultimately, and definitely a dream of yours. So, but in the meantime, Koshen, the movie is now available. On VOD platforms, so it's a perfect movie to watch as the Major League Baseball season is just getting underway. So people who watch the movie will get to see players like Shohei Otani, Hideki Matsui, and even current Seattle Mariners pitcher Yusei Kikuchi. Ultimately, what do you want people to take away from watching this film? Yeah, I think you know as baseball season ramps up, and we're hoping for a good one. You know, I think suggesting this idea that you know a lot of American baseball fans might not even know much about this crazy like baseball phenomenon we have in Japan. They maybe heard about it, never really got a chance to see it, and that has been the case because until this film, it's it's rarely been allowed to go so deeply into this world of high school baseball for. An international audience, so I hope that yeah, American baseball fans get to enjoy it as a totally different kind of a, a baseball, you know, and also yeah, as a kind of clues as to you know why Japan is the way it is. If you're ever interested in Japan, I've been to Japan, and you wonder like, oh, why do they work on Sundays, or you know, why do they, you know, again, the trains being on time is so wonderful. This kind of thing, like tying in with the the culture and the tradition that is built in Japan through this exciting story of a season of baseball where adults and kids, you know. Give their all to try to make their field of dreams. That's outstanding, Emma. I could talk to you all day about the movie, about baseball, about Ichiro, but this is all the time we have for today. So thank you so much for taking the time, and I really appreciate you speaking with me today. Thank you. Thank you. This is the Changing Directions podcast series featuring Emma Ryan Yamazaki, director of Koshin Japan's Field of Dreams. Look for the movie on your favorite streaming platform and watch it today as the baseball season is getting underway. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review on iTunes, and share on social media. Any way you can support the podcast is very much appreciated. You can find every podcast episode and all of my movie reviews, including my review of Koshian Japan's Field of Dreams, on 206.com. Thank you for listening to the Changing Directions podcast series presented by 206.com. <laughs>